So yeah, we'll we'll be talking about righteousness and peace and majesty and beauty and glory and wrath and mercy and holiness and redemption and wisdom and knowledge of God just in this section here. Um, now as we move through this, it's a grand book of prophecy, it really is. And um uh, it's it's pre written history, you know, it's it's uh written down before it happens and some of this uh is written down then we um we know that it does happen. It happened historically already. It was fulfilled in a really short time. And um of course it's fulfilled ultimately in the person of Christ. And um even in the future will you know physically you know uh, you, so you have a panoramic view from that time period um, that happened within a few short years and expands on out to the Messiah's first coming and all the way to the second coming and a glorious uh, time with uh, with God and uh, so you know all of this is we can either say has been fulfilled or will be absolutely fulfilled in the, in the future aspects. But at the same time, to get to that glorious time that we, you know, that we even look forward to, you know, we, we know we're we're in a kingdom now, and we're we're in Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. But um, we don't always experience that that ultimate. You know, we, we have eternity in our hearts, and, and we know something still falls short. <laughs> and you know, there's wars wars between nations. There's death, there's sin, there's evil. All those things that were going on then, they're happening now. There's spiritual wars that are going on. Things we don't even see, things we don't even know about. Uh, we don't even think about. But God is just keeps on marching through time. We see His sovereignty, again, all the way through here. And He is triumphant. So I think when we read a book like Isaiah, um, I think it should bolster our faith. And to realize that God is in absolute control in this sinful world. He has a plan. He has a purpose. We say this almost every week, don't we? But it comes down to our own little worlds, individual worlds, and we know that he's proven over and over again that he is true. He's He proved it here in, in this book in Isaiah. Uh, I think it should make us wonder and marvel at him. We should be in awe and amazement. And, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about this section here that, that we're looking at tonight because what we'll, we'll do is we'll see a king. We'll see a king how he delivers his people. We'll see a king who has judgment on the sinful world and the grand glory that awaits us. So he gives us quite a glimpse of um, the, the, the future, um, even though, you know, he's bringing judgment on. Quite a, quite a glimpse of who he is. And of course, that's what we want to look at as we look at each chapter, where we just see God. And I think we see him in a big way here in, in this section. Uh, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. We just uh, gather around your truth, and um, uh, we just um, are encouraged at your word, your promises, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. Uh, you are a God to be in awe of. And may we see your majesty as we catch a glimpse here in these precious truths you have actually given to us. Uh, it's like a love letter. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter, Actually, we're taking one, one chapter um, at a time. Uh, each point is on, like, and I think you'll see a king in, in chapter 32.
And in chapter 33, we'll see that Jerusalem will be delivered. Um, chapter 34, we'll see that the sinful world, that's all the nations, will be judged. And then in 35, we see uh, this glorious kingdom that uh, will be established um, where he gives life to a desert. Anyway, in chapter 32, he starts right off with the word behold. And when you get behold in the Bible, it means check this out, exclamation point, look at this. And he says, a king will reign righteous. Now, that that is not the first time we've seen this in Isaiah um, uh, as far as a king is concerned. I, I think it just expands more and more as we go through. But you think of a king... You think of, okay, Israel at one time would have been considered to be an, a theocracy. God is the king. He's the ruler. He's the one that uh, gave them life, right? He's, he's the king. But the people want a human king, just like all the other nations. So God gives them a human king, and that being the person of uh, Saul. And um, in the days of Samuel, that's when all this was happening, God went ahead and gave them one. And it was now a monarchy. God's still ruling. It's really a theocracy, but uh, the nation was under a, a monarchy. It, um, Saul didn't start a dynasty because he was not really from the tribe of Judah. Uh, David established that dynasty, and the ancestry for Israel's Messiah is going to come through him. So it's, it's never through you know, the, the son of Saul. It's the son of David, right? And it's pointing to the Messiah. You know, everything is always heading that way. So the future Messiah is going to be the son of David. So when you talk about king, you have to think of um, that idea, the way that God has. And in the first two verses, you have some words that I was pointing out earlier. Behold, a king will reign righteously. So he's going to be a righteous king. That's, that's encouraging, isn't it? And princes will reign justly. So there's going to be justice there. Uh, each will bring be like a refuge from the wind. So... This this king is going to be righteous. He's going to bring injustice. He's going to give a refuge to the people and a shelter from the storm. So he's using these vivid um, imagery words, wind, uh, wind and storm. He's going to be a refuge, a shelter, like streams of water. You know, you, you think of um, the Middle East and uh, streams of water were not uh, very plentiful. Um, as, as it says here in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. We've seen in Isaiah already about the rock. So I think it's very vivid what he brings forth here. Um, uh, the righteousness, the justice, the refuge. He's a shelter. He's water. He's rock. Everything the people need. In two verses, boom. I mean, you know, this comes off the heels of uh, chapter 31 where um, he's been talking about woe to uh, Egypt and anybody who trusts in Egypt and their horses, uh, the chariots. Some trust in chariots. We sang that song Sunday, didn't we? <laughs> and, uh, of course, it's, it's only in God that we trust. And so he starts off this chapter 32. That's why I think these, two, these first two verses are really key to where we're at tonight. That's interesting. Uh, in, in verse 1, he says, A king. Right? Behold, a king. doesn't say who a king is here. We know who it is. Uh, but then turn to chapter 33 and in verse 17. 
your eyes will see, what does it say this time? The king. The king. Your eyes will see the king. Um, I like this too. In his beauty, you'll actually see this king. He is the king. So he's a king. He's the king. And in 33.22, the Lord is our judge. There's your justice. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And that's Yahweh is our king. He will save us. He will save us. So this is in a time of um, absolute devastation getting ready to happen. People are living in, in, a, in a fear. And it talks about uh, a king, the king, our king. The king will reign in righteousness and justice and peace. And you see those words constantly uh, in Isaiah. We've seen righteous. We've seen justice here in the first verse. Um, if you look in verse uh, 16, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field, and the work of righteousness will be peace. It will be a peaceful habitation. So no matter how negative things may seem, we look at this bright uh, future there, and we think of um, the attributes of God. Um, in Isaiah chapter 9, he started bringing forth the truth about the, the Prince of Peace and, of course, uh, our King. But in 9 uh, 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his king to, kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So they will have the ultimate uh, government, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, Prince of Peace, ruling and reigning, righteousness, justice, peace, at a time where it didn't seem like it would even be possible, but yet he's still giving his great promises. Um, verses 3 and 4, kind of interesting because this is the kind of transformations that happens when the Messiah will come. And when he came to the earth, these things did happen. Then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded, and the ears of those who hear will listen. The mind of the hasty will discern the truth, and the tongue of stammerers will hasten to speak clearly. Uh, there, were, there were people who were blind and deaf uh, and dumb and couldn't see, they couldn't speak. And so we know that Jesus actually literally did that while he was here, just for a short time. But we know ultimately there will be no more blindness, more, no more deafness, no more uh, dumbness. And, and, uh, but just to be thinking about whenever he came to this earth, we think about John the Baptist in Matthew 11. And of course, he was beginning to wonder where, you know, about about this Jesus. Um, he was he had been put in jail. John the Baptist had been. And it says in verse two, Matthew eleven two. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, "Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else?" Jesus answered and said to them, "Go and report to John what you hear and see." 
And, it, and of course, he quotes right out of the Old Testament here. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Um, that was Christ. He says, okay, uh, here's what it is. What do you see? What do you hear? And here's what's happened. Here's what um, has happened when Christ was there. So he was a glimpse, a picture of what it would ultimately be. So, you know, he, he takes the physical senses, compares that. Great hope there. A king of righteousness and justice. Shelter. Um, refuge. Water. He's the rock. The shade... Uh, for the people. And then, in 5 through 8, in uh, chapter 32, no longer will the fool be called noble, or the rogue be spoken of as generous. Sometimes we have foolish people leading people, right? Scoundrels who uh, have positions, and it's really for their own personal gain, personal profit, not for the good of the people. Uh, a, uh, verse 6, a, a fool speaks nonsense and his heart inclines toward wickedness to practice ungodliness and to speak error against the Lord, to keep the hungry person unsatisfied and withhold drink from the thirsty. As for a rogue, his weapons are evil. His, he devises wicked schemes to destroy the afflicted with slander, even though the needy one speaks what is right. But the noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. So you have uh, these kind of people, and people sometimes admire the rich and the famous, don't they? They think they're really good for the people, and uh, even though they, they have a character that is really evil, wicked as it says here, you know, people worship celebrities. You know, they... Uh, they deserve no respect in some of the behaviors that they have, and people just, you know, cower over them and down to them. And um, so, you know, the, in in the kingdom that God has, ultimately there will be no deception. But they admire them because they are wicked. That's what they like about them. Because they get away with doing wicked things, and nobody's able to stop. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, Sometime that will stop. And then he has a section, verses 9 through 14. He's talked about this before, earlier. He says, Rise up, you women who are at ease, and hear my voice. Women, I want you to hear this. Give ear to my word, you complacent daughters. Within a year and a few days, you will be troubled, O complacent daughter. Everything's going fine for them now. He says, within a year or so. For the vintage is ended and the fruit gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent daughters. Strip, undress, and put sackcloth on your waist. Beat your breast for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the land of my people in which thorns and briars shall come up. Yea, for all the joyful houses and for the jubilant city. Um, I'll stop there. I think it ends at 13. But that's the uh, aristocratic women. Um, these are the women that uh, would have been done as, uh, doing really well as far as luxuries are concerned. Um, but they will sacrifice all their luxuries, and not only that, but all the necessities. And uh, they had they were well off and been doing well. It says within a year, everything's going to be taken. And so he gives um, uh, 
a little bit of description of there, the people that were at ease and everything's all just fine and everything. That's how close uh, we were to this coming. But all at the same time, he's already introduced how glorious um, the future will be for his people. Uh, in 15 through 20, this is beautiful. Um, this is a description. And, of course, you know, I, I think it goes beyond after they were delivered in, uh, let's say, in, in 700 B.C. or from Jerusalem uh, after it was attacked by Babylon and 70 years later they were able to go back home. I think it extends way beyond what they had. Um, you know, there, there's a semblance of this, but they didn't have the ultimate peace and righteousness. Here we go, verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice, there we go again, will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field, and the work of righteousness will be peace. You ever seen righteousness, justice, and peace together? All throughout the Old Testament you'll see it. And the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever, then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and undisturbed resting places. And it will hail when the forest comes down and the city will utterly be laid low. How blessed will you be, you who sow beside all waters, who let out freely the ox and the donkey. Um, the Spirit was going to be uh, poured out upon them. And of course we... Uh, we see that uh, early in the, the, the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. The Spirit was going to transform people, but there's going to be a fruitfulness. Um, God was going to have to curse their land, but then He says, then I'll, I will bless the land, I'll bless the people, throw, uh, pour out the Spirit of God on them. And then you have to think of Ezekiel uh, 36, Ezekiel gives us a lot of prophecies about uh, devastation and, and such, but at the same time, he does what Isaiah does and keeps giving promises of uh, ultimate blessings. And of course, this is about the Spirit of God. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So there is quite the promise there. That's uh, the giving of God's spirit to his people. Of course, we who are Christians have experienced that. Can you imagine him giving that out to people who were dead? In course, Ezekiel, you think of the, the vision of the... The dry bones. <laughs> the next chapter just comes to life. So anyway, uh, description of um, what it'll be like in, in a peace and righteousness dominated world where they didn't have that. They weren't experiencing it. And I think righteousness is is the key word that uh, we're seeing here in Isaiah. Um, I think in, in verse 17 of our chapter 32 the work of righteousness. Out of that will be peace. Peace in the hearts as He brings forth the Spirit in their lives. So that, that's quite a promise. With, he, he jumps from one thing to another. 
sure does. Like 18, my people will live in a peaceful habitation and a secure dwelling. The very next verse says, mm-hmm. the city will be utterly laid low. Uh, it's hard to follow. It is. Jumps from such massive blessings to utter destruction just from one sentence to another. Yeah, it could almost... You know, you'd think, okay, you know, you're in you're in one mode, and then all of a sudden, where did that come from? And of course, in that same chapter, we've seen it already where he's talked about judgment. Then, but then we also saw where he was talking about a future glorious time where you have righteousness and peace. But uh, yeah, it it does. It it can change from one verse to the next, just like that. Um, but isn't it great that God would continue to give these promises where he could have just wiped out the whole world? <laughs> he's already said he's going to do it to Judah and Jerusalem and, and uh, Israel, the ten tribes, and then the neighboring uh, nations, and then all the nations of the world. And yet he gives this picture here, but there's a peaceful habitation. <laughs> and that's just one chapter that we just covered there. survivors in the in the battles and the wars there's the ones that are still standing and then there's all those around that are fallen right you know, on the battlefield we, well we have the people who are going to be judged and then we have the remnant mm-hmm. you know all along through you see that so it's good news here to the ones who are his because yeah. there will be peace someday it's like what we're living in now we know in the forefront we don't know when it's going to be, but we know there will be judgment to this nation. There will be judgment all around. We may be living, may not, but we, we all know that it could happen very, very soon, too. At the same time, we know it goes far beyond that because we don't live for this world. We live for what this, what, what Christ and who he is and what he has for us. So, yeah, and so therefore we too can we live in this world and we don't want to see those kind of things happen, but and and we cry out, but at the same other sense we know 
that there's going to be judgment, but, but we have a Savior noble, King. But those they call noble that we know are not noble, finally that there is a justice, justice that's been done for that, then we're, we're glad for that. The whole yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's any judgment on those kind of people. They're not so noble. I do like the idea of Bob. Yeah, if you look at like a war movie, you ever watch those really intense war movies? You kind of they're showing you different people how different things are being affected by them, but then there's always those that might have a way out of that circumstances or something like that too. Maybe that's the way Isaiah is that it is a battle and it is a war and it's devastating in some ways. But then there's always that We're in the war, aren't we? Um, well. Okay, we we probably got a lot of bright future going there. The sun came out, and the, but then the clouds kind of came, and but then the sun came out. You know, you know how those days are. You know, wait, wait, where the sun go? And all of a sudden, now we get into the real dark clouds in chapter thirty-three. But yet, within the midst of that, and here we go with what Heldon was talking about, Jerusalem is going to still be delivered. <laughs> I mean, even despite the fact the enemy's coming, and it's Assyria. So, and this is going to be the sixth woe that that we've seen recently. Um, back in chapter 28, verse 1, woe to the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is would be the ten representing kind of like the northern tribes, right? Israel. Uh, 29, 1, you get another woe. Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering. Li- oh, did I get that right? 29, 1, I'm sorry. Uh, next page. What, what's that? How terrible it will be for you, uh, Jerusalem. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and and the twenty nine one is is Ariel or uh, be Jerusalem, the city where David once camped. So there's a woe on them. Um, so we had the ten tribes, then we had Jerusalem, and then in chapter twenty nine verse fifteen. We get another woe. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us or who knows us? These guys were making the the deals with the other nations, you know, trying to seek their chariots, their safety from them. And they had these deep, dark plans that they were hiding. Uh, woe to them. Uh, chapter 30, verse... One, another woe. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. So woe to them. um, Woe to you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Remember when Jesus said that? Uh, That means, you know, that's, that's the judgment. And in chapter 31, verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots. There's our song again. Because they are many and horsemen, because they're, they're trusting in everything but God, they're trusting in man's power. But uh, so he says, Woe to all them. And then we we get this this sixth one here. Woe to you, O destroyer. And the context here, this is Sennacherib, and Sennacherib is the king of who? Assyria. That's the empire that that Judah is fearing right now. And they're making little deals with them uh, that they wouldn't come and destroy them. Hezekiah actually was a really good king, but Hezekiah 
did some things that were not wise. When you let the enemy in and come into your country and you show them what you have, it's not a good thing, is it? Well, in 2 Kings 18, we see Hezekiah, a good king, a good king. But this is sad, what he did here in 18, 13 through 15. And this is dealing with Sennacherib. Now, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. So, here comes Sennacherib and Assyria. They've taken other cities. They're in Judah. Uh, Not going to take Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to keep that from him. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. He's saying, okay, pay me big time here. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria so that he wouldn't come and destroy Jerusalem. He's done it to Judah. And so now, rather than counting and trusting on God here, he starts trying to pay off the Assyrians. But, you know, Sennacherib broke off that agreement anyway and invaded Judah no matter what and had all the money. God had promised to judge him. And so and this what this chapter is about. With that context... It's amazing what good King Hezekiah did. Even a good man of God can do some ignorant things. Read a little bit of that. Woe to you, O destroyer, Sennacherib. While you were not destroyed, and he who is treacherous while others did not deal treacherously with him, as soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. (laughs) O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their strength every morning, our salvation also in the time of distress. At the sound of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. Your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers. As locusts rushing about, men rush about on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. Now, here's high praise. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Keeps coming back to that, doesn't he? And he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, their brave men cry in the streets, The ambassadors of peace weep bitterly. The highways are desolate. The the traveler has ceased. This is what Assyria has done, coming all the way down to to south uh, Judah there. He has broken the covenant. 
He has despised the cities. He has no regard for man. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is going to be shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. And Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. So he's going to he's going to judge that one that was called the destroyer. There's a prayer of the godly remnant we saw there in verses 2 through 4. Then the Lord is exalted in, um, in his defeating Assyria. Uh, no human wisdom, no human power could have done what he did. And um, I think this, isn't this where you have the... Um, the 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. You, you remember that story? Were um, kind of killed miraculously by God. There's no way that uh, they were going to take them on. Uh, that's what we're getting into, like in verses 14 through 16. Um, Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, he will dwell on the heights, his refuge will be the impregnable rock, his bread will be given him, his water will be sure. He talks about the king in 17. But um, God arises and you have images there describing judgment and of course all of this brought glory to God even among the Gentiles because um, what you know they, they they had to start fearing this one God because of this great deliverance um, in one night 185,000 soldiers of the enemy uh, were were killed and Isaiah was hoping this miracle would somehow, um, that, that delivered the city, that kept Jerusalem from being destroyed, that would, this kind of thing would be such a witness to the people, you know, that there would be great true devotion to the Lord. To some it did affect, to others it still didn't, did it? Isn't that amazing? But that was a miracle deliverance that, that God used. In 17 through 24, you get, the king here this time. We started with a king. Now we have the king in his beauty. He says, you're going to see him. Isaiah sees this vision of Jerusalem being ruled by a king Messiah. They'll behold a far distant land. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is he who counts? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will no longer see a fierce people a people of unintelligible speech. That means coming with a foreign language uh, which no one comprehends, of a stammering tongue which no one understands. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an undisturbed habitation, a tent which will not be folded. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords be torn apart. But there the majestic one, the Lord, will be for us. So you have the king in his beauty, you have the one that is the majestic one. He is Yahweh. He's Lord. A place of rivers and wide canals in which no boat with oars will go, in which no mighty ship will pass. For the Lord is our judge. He is our lawgiver. He's our king. He will save us. I mean, I mean that's everything. That That's the judicial system and it's the legislative system. 
And then the king is what? The executive. <laughs> right there are the all branches of the government, isn't it? He will save us. And that's where our trust has to be. And he's the, 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 the majestic king. This is the king in all of his beauty. Boy, this is after all this judgment. That, and really, this is a good kind of a judgment because he's, he's, he's saying, I will judge Assyria. And he did. That's, that's been done. Beauty of King Messiah. They'll perceive his great beauty. There will be no more terror. Chapter 34. Here's We've been talking about righteousness and justice. Well, if he is just, he has to bring on his wrath. Now he speaks to the nations. Draw near, O nations. He goes back to the judgment of them. To hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains here and the world and all that springs from it for the Lord's indignation, that's his wrath, is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out. Their corpses will give off their stench. The mountains will be drenched with their blood. This is graphic. And all the host of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And their host will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine. Or as one withers from the fig tree. Ultimate judgment. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom. Now, he uses Edom here, and he does judge Edom, and that was one of the nations that we put earlier, or the surrounding, and we know the history of Edom and uh, their animosity with, with Israel. Uh, but they're representative of all the nations that we're already seeing. But uh, here's such an enemy of God's people. Uh, of course, it's judgment upon the whole world. What a characteristic that Edom plays for them. Um, enemy armies are just going to be slaughtered. Uh, and and now it's it's like he, he gives this sacrificial image. Now it's almost like here's here's um, you know we think of the temple as being a place of sacrifices that were to be brought in. Well, here are the Lord's sacrifices as far as these um, the enemy is going to be sacrificed. It says in verse 6, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat and with the blood of lambs and goats. See, there's the animals that are used in the temple. With the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will also fall with them. Young bulls with strong ones. And their land will be soaked with blood. And their dust become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its streams will be turned into pitch, and its loose earth into brimstone. Its land will become burning pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will go up forever from generation to generation. It will be desolate. None will pass through it forever and ever. But pelican and hedgehog will possess it, and owl and raven and dwell in it. People won't live there. They can't live there. We'll stretch it over in the line of desolation and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there whom they may proclaim king. All its princes will be nothing. Thorns will come up in its fortified towers, nettles and thistles in its fortified cities. It will be a haunt of jackals and an abode of ostriches. 
you know, you keep on reading. You got the animals, wolves, and all sorts of different creatures, and snakes, and what have you. You know, that's that's what will. It was worthy of living there after all that had, would be judged. It's a great judgment that um, people are aware of that God. Uh, has done and will do. It's, it's like a judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, I think just about everybody has heard of that story, you know, Christian or non-Christian. Um, in the days of Lot. <laughs> yeah. So it'll, it'll just be laid out as a, a wilderness. Brambles and thorns, wild beasts. And so that's what 34 is about. And then boom, just <laughs> just like that, we go right into what we were talking about. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. He's talking about how he's bringing this place to a desert, and then all of a sudden he, he says this de- a desert, the, the wilderness that is laid out because of God's judgment on people will not remain a wilderness. It will be transformed into a place like the Garden of Eden, all nature eagerly awaiting this, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah rejoice and blossom. It's a dry place. Very dry. Like the crocus. And it will blossom profusely. Everybody's familiar with this Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. It's a beautiful description. Yeah. It usually has snow around and here it's speaking of a dry desert, and then all of a sudden uh, you get uh, this, and you get streams of water. I mean, it's just like life comes here. And I, I think it's it's a strengthening of the ones who are the lords, uh, the, the weak and the afraid. And he keeps bringing forth the promise of the uh, this coming kingdom that God has planned ultimately. And that, that strengthens the weak. Um, there's not going to be any more blind or deaf or lame or dumb. He goes right back to that again. Uh, of course, they had many lame, blind, deaf, dumb when Christ came to earth. And we know what he did with that and what a picture of what he will ultimately do. Um, I like at the end of verse too. Well, it says, It will blossom profusely, rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Now, he just talked about cursing that area. And that's up there where Syria is at. You know, it was in, in the Assyrian realm and and what God was going to lay that. That was their pride. You know, the pride of Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon. And, and then he says, he's going to bring all that back to life. And I like this at the end of two. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So a God of wrath and then a God of restoration, a God of deliverance and salvation. This is a wide expanse of who God is, isn't it? So in in this, I think we see the character of God just being uh, blown up in a big way. Um. Isn't this nice to have? 35.3, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. I think that's a message to all of us as as individuals, even even today. You know, it was back then at that time, but for all of God's people all through time, because aren't you glad that God is a God of vengeance? And he will judge sin and he will judge it perfectly. And then he says, Take take courage. Don't don't fear. We have no reason to fear if we are his. We are to fear God. <laughs> but uh, we Yeah, say to those with anxious heart. And Jesus said, Do not be anxious. <laughs> don't worry. We we want we worry about our, our food and clothing and time of Isaiah that people were fearing even the great king Hezekiah a godly man was fearing Sennacherib and but if I was in that case I see him coming down and see what they have done I said oh we're next and he says there's no reason to fear I think that is that is that is this right here is like on the front page here uh, of the news today for Christians I think this is what we need knowing that uh, the enemy could be coming from the north and coming down on us. Be encouraged, be strengthened. Don't fear, don't be anxious. Have courage. God is going to judge that. He will save you. And that's that's what I like at the end of verse 4. But He will save you. So you have this one statement in one verse. He will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. Just like what we were talking about earlier. But He will save you. So if the Christians know who they, who they belong to, which Christians do, that's what it is. Um... Here's something graphic, and we've already seen this earlier. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah. Such a dry area. And like we say, there's the foretaste of Christ uh, when he first came, and... Someday that will be eternal aspect. No more of uh, the diseases, the eyes, blind, deafness, go on and on and on with it. All the cancers. Um, the scorched lamb will become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. 
in the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. So what was so uh, much judged earlier in chapter 34, boom, right here in the next chapter, then we get to see on the other side of this after he's given all that judgment and uh, this ultimate uh, sense here. And then, then, he, then he turns to the highway of holiness. And he's mentioned this several times in Isaiah already. The highway of holiness. Well, if you were living back at that time, you had these roads that you traveled on, these highways, and that was how you got from one place to another. Now, that was taken from you. You couldn't travel those roads because the Assyrians are, are there to rape, pillage, plunder, whatever, kill. Uh, it was not safe to be on those roads anymore. And so that had gone on for some time. And I think this is why this is Isaiah, one of his favorite themes, this highway of holiness where uh, one day there will never be uh, a fear of uh, wherever you go, wherever you be. Uh, we're always in the presence of Christ. But um, during that Assyrian invasion, the highways were not safe. One day it will be perfectly safe. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. Verse 8. I like that. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. Fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed the redeemed. Here it starts describing some words of the believers. That that means the ones who were bought out of slavery. They will walk there. And the ransomed, again, that's the ones that uh, are bought and paid for, of the Lord will return. And they come with ja joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heart, uh, heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. <laughs> so he wraps it all up, showing that, um, listen, if you're God's people, we have nothing but uh, but joy for us, really. And we are uh, in that highway. We're on it. God's redeemed, ransomed, and rejoicing. And it, it, they would think back at that time when they would be on the highways, the roads going to Jerusalem, People would be coming for hundreds and hundreds of miles to go to the, the yearly feast in Jerusalem. You can think of the Passover, which would be a great joyous time. And Of course, Jesus even traveled there and the disciples and they uh, go up to do the Aliyah to Jerusalem to praise the Lord. And uh, here we have uh, this ultimate sense where uh, that will never be broken again. You know, I think we can think if God kept his promises to his people centuries ago and he delivered them. He actually delivered Jerusalem. Now, that's what this was about. Assyria was on their way. Did, did they capture? Did they destroy Jerusalem? No, they didn't. Now, Babylon did. God said that would happen. But he also said, but I will bring you up out of there in 70 years and you'll go back to your homeland. So he did not leave them without promise. Uh, he will always keep his promises, and he's proven it. 
he will say exactly what he's saying. But he, he saved the city from the Assyrians when it looked like there was no way out of it. King Hezekiah gave him all that money, the gold and the silver. The gold that stripped off the doors in the temple. <laughs> A good king. And yet that the king of Assyria... Um, was kept on trying to come anyway, and God said, it's not going to happen. So he slays the 185,000 soldiers. And so what an, uh, what a glorious place that he is uh, going to establish for his chosen people. And so that he does not leave the people without hope, even though we have seen some very graphic images, uh, harsh judgment. That'll be brought down to the land, to the people. And yet, all I see here is a bright future for the people of God. Uh, we have it now, but we will see that beauty physically. We will see Jesus as he is in First John 3. And uh, my, look what we have waiting ahead, right? That's, I think that, that section there is uh, if somebody's really needing great hope, if they're in fear, like what you were talking about, if they're in fear of what man can do, and what our leaders can do to this nation, um, yeah, there's a cause to be concerned. Uh, yeah, alarmed about it. But then uh, also, when you know truth about this, I, I like what Audrey had to say the other day. You know, uh, think it was coming from uh, Robbie Zacharias. Whenever a man had been praying, uh, he didn't. He didn't. I think they were going to bring the the people into their land, right, into their country. Well, he'd been he'd been praying about this other country and how they couldn't be reached. They couldn't be reached because you couldn't go there. Yes, it's illegal. Nobody to minister to. (laughs) All of a sudden, they invaded. And it upset him at first, and then he realized, oh, I have to go there. <laughs> the beer. I, have to go. I don't have to travel. They're right, they're right across the street. <laughs> they don't have to go over there. They're being right to our doorstep. What an opportunity. This is one reason that the book of Revelation is my favorite book. Because John sees all this, what's in Isaiah, in its fulfillment. always the death and destruction of the ungodly and God's always bringing judgment on them but in the midst of all of it here's God's people that he's protected and brought into his presence that's what the whole book of Revelation is about. Isn't that where the blessing is at? People make something else out of it which is just destroys it completely but John saw this in in the visions that he had in its completeness from the beginning to the end. And if there's anything that's ever going to give you hope, it's to read that book of Revelation yeah. and to understand it. It, 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 w- it should be scary to the unbeliever, but to the believer, it, it is great hope. It's scary to the believer if he's not taught right. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks it's a judgment yeah. on the world. Yeah. It's not judgment at all. It's victory and yeah. hope and salvation and being in the presence of God. It teaches you that God has a All these things that it talks about here in Isaiah, about the streams and the waters and the revelation, word for word. Everlasting joy, isn't it? Gladness.
joy. So, we just got a glimpse. We haven't seen a lot of that, but but we see it almost every chapter, just a little bit. And now it's just like we're, the clouds are starting to move a little bit. And and so we're getting closer to chapter 40 <laughs> where we can – but still, yet we'll still see a, a slight – glimpses of judgment in those sections, but for the most part, it, it's really focusing on uh, God and His greatness and really the, the suffering servant. And, uh, yeah. Isaiah is... Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're talking about his sovereignty, his deity is shown like no place else in the Bible in, in those those chapters. Uh, it's incredible. And so, you know, it's just Isaiah is a tremendous book, but boy, it, it is difficult in places. But any good book that you read uh, is not going to be simple. Because the depth just keeps coming out, and more and more, you know. So it really doesn't get get old, but um, it's a, a joyous thing to see what uh, what all this is pointing to. And yet, this was to people that were expecting the worst. And yet, God is showing the best at the same time. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. It was certainly a joy. And um, I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your your word here. and uh, May we just uh, actually rejoice in, in what we have looked at tonight. Knowing you are God of justice and wrath. You're a holy God and you must do that. But yet you also... Show your great attributes of grace and mercy and love and uh, the beauty of you in the excellencies of these kind of things that it's you are perfectly balanced. And if we're tr- one trust in you, we have all the hope that anybody could ever have. We should be the most joyous of all people because of this truth, and we know it to be absolute truth. Thank you for your precious word. In your son's name, amen.